I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to Isaiah 61. I grew up in a Christian home, and uh, sometimes that means that it's very hard to pinpoint a point of conversion in your life. Although I do have a day that I sort of looked to that I decided myself that I was going to follow Christ. And that was the 3rd of November, 1984, which is 35 years ago today, of course. So um, I praise God for that. Uh, whether it was that moment or not, I'm not sure, but uh, I looked to it. And if you're not a Christian here, what I'm going to share is not what we would call an evangelistic presentation. But just to say that's the best decision that I've ever made in my life. I've got a lovely wife and family, but marrying my wife was not the best decision. It, it was a good decision. Now. <laughs> Don't carry that. Don't carry that. I hope that, that isn't edited in any way. Um, it, it was the next best decision, but the best was trusting Christ. And if you haven't done that, it'd be a good, why not take my second birthday and make today your day and trust Jesus. But I, I felt led, and I have preached on this before, but I felt led and I felt the Lord speak to me to bring to you a message about freedom from a spirit of heaviness. And I think it's been confirmed in how you've led Hazel and even some of the prayers in the prayer meeting beforehand. So we're reading from verse one of Isaiah 61, but I want you, first of all, to pray for yourself before we even read, okay? I want you to engage with God and say, Lord, would you speak to me now, all right? Would you just do that? Just say, I'm going to pray, but you pray and say, Lord, would you speak to me now? And if you even know what the spirit of heaviness is, and if you don't, that's okay, we'll explain it in a moment, but ask the Lord even to release you now before we come to his word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that Jesus Christ has come to set captives free. And we thank you for the freedom and the liberty that there is in the good news of the gospel. And we pray just now, welcoming the Holy Spirit to come now to actually release people from a spirit of happiness, to set them free. For whom the Son sets free shall be free indeed. You shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. So come, Holy Spirit, in the name of the Lord Jesus, for the glory of God the Father, set people free, come and touch lives, and speak to us all here today. Renew minds in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, we'll read from verse 1. We're reading down about verse 4. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them the beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. And they shall rebuild old ruins, they shall raise up former desolations, and they shall repair the ruined cities, the desolations of many generations. Freedom from the spirit of heaviness. It's not a weight loss program, by the way. If it was, I'd probably be enrolled myself and doing a bit better than I am. But I'm talking about a spirit of heaviness, which I have uh, suffered from at times in my own life. And really it's a kind of drudgery or a cloak of despondency that can come over us, a kind of spirit of depression where your hands hang low in biblical speak and your knees are weak. 
And it can even be manifested physically, and I'm not going into any great detail in this, but it can actually present itself through physical problems and sickness. As I said, I've experienced this before, and there's times in my life that I can pinpoint a sin. And it's not always down to sin, but sometimes there is some area that I've neglected, morally speaking, and I have to repent. But other times, um, it's just inexplicable. There are not even circumstances in my life that warrant me being down at all, but it's there. I've actually seen me standing in church, and everybody else is sensing the presence of God but I'm not. It's like a kind of numbness. And I have to tell you, and I'm just being honest, imagine being honest in church, um, I've preached and been like this and felt that I was standing outside of myself, spectating on what was going on. I've preached at times, and this is not one of those times, just to let you know, when I'd rather be at home watching the television. Now, if that's too honest for you, I'm sorry, but I think we've got to get real. That we are in a spiritual battle. And people, even when I've gone through times like this and I've shared it with them, have said to me, but what, you know, what have you got to be sad about? You know, and they begin describing back to me you know, the things that, that I have that they don't have, as if that's going to make me feel better. They don't realize that actually this is not rational. So you can reason all you like. And it can happen even when you're not dwelling on something that is particularly distressing. There can be an imperceptible dry rot that infects your spirit. A woeful melancholy, a miserable gloom, if you like. And whilst what I'm describing to you sounds like depression, many people who have not been diagnosed with any mental illness still have been touched by this. There are different types of depression. You know that? This is not an exhaustive list. There's chemical depression, where there's a chemical imbalance in the brain or even physiologically in the body. There's circumstantial depression, where things are closing in on you. It's not that it's internal coming from something going on in your mind or body, but actually it's your environment is adding to a, a depression in your life. But then there is spiritual depression. And even if your depression has not been caused by the enemy, it's biological, physiological, or circumstantial, you can be absolutely sure that if there's any heaviness in your life, the enemy will capitalize on it. And he will try to visit you with a spiritual depression of some kind. Some say Martin Luther battled with depression most of his life. Abraham Lincoln said, I am now the most miserable man living. If what I feel were equally distributed to the whole human family, there would not be one cheerful face on the earth. Wow. Uh, friends of Lincoln said he was a sad-looking man. His melancholy dripped from him as he walked. And he was so overcome with mental depression that he never dared carry a knife in his pocket. Sir Winston Churchill referred to his recurrent depression as the black dog a biographer notes, he had an enemy worthy of the word black dog, an unambiguous tyrant whose destruction occupied him fully and invigorated him totally year in, year out. Some of you will have heard of William Cooper or William Cowper who wrote some very famous hymns like There is a fountain filled with blood, God moves in mysterious ways, oh for a closer walk with God. 
And he suffered his whole life from depression. And in the end, actually, it's a very tragic story. He felt that God had completely cast him off. And that was partly due to the theology that he had embraced. Derek Prince, who some of you may know, a great Bible teacher, battled what he called demonic oppression every day of his life until he was about 80 years of age when he, believe it or not then, late in life, discovered the teaching on the Father heart of God. And he describes how in his life, he, and I'm quoting him, he was aware of an arm that stretched out towards his head, seeking to press down something like a black skull cap upon him. He talks about dark forebodings with every morning he wakened. Now, if you've read the Bible and particularly love the book of Psalms like most Christians do, you will know that King David in particular had numerous bouts of what we probably could call depression. Well, I'm here to tell you today, firsthand, that there is deliverance from the spirit of heaviness. Now, I'm not saying some people don't need medication. At times, I think that is warranted. And I'm not saying you don't have to make certain lifestyle changes like exercise, new habits, discipline, and even a good diet. We, we need a balanced approach to our lives. And I'm not even saying that what I'm going to share here today is the sole spiritual answer for the spiritual problem of the spirit of heaviness. But I am going to say to you that this is an important key. I believe it's a revelation that God gave me in my life too. Now here in Isaiah 61, we have what I call the mandate or the mission statement of Messiah. A description prophetically before Jesus was born, hundreds of years uh, before he was born, through the prophet Isaiah, of what he would come to do. And basically, without going into the details, he would come to undo what sin and Satan has done to us. Sin impoverishes us, so he comes to bring good news to the poor. Satan brings brokenness of heart as sin does as well so he's come to heal the brokenhearted sin and satan captivates and imprisons us and binds us so he's come to set us at liberty to release prison doors he was ushering in we see here at the the end of verse two the year of jubilee the year the acceptable year of the lord that's written about in leviticus 25 and it's the 50th year in the Jewish calendar. And during that year, slaves would be released, debts would be completely cancelled, and land that had been taken off your family would be returned. It's a picture of a new beginning that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Savior of men, has come to give us in the new covenant through the gospel. He's come, as it were, to hit the reset button, to reboot and believers in Jesus Christ are meant to be currently living out this spiritual year of Jubilee. Now, is that your experience? Now, we're not going to go into these details because we haven't got time. But we want to cut in here at the end of verse 2. He's come to comfort those who mourn. I don't know whether you're familiar with Isaiah chapter 40. The authorized verse says, comfort ye, comfort ye, my people. God is in the comforting people. And he wants to comfort those who mourn. And sin brings mourning. Our own sin and the sin of others against us will cause mourning. Of course, grief causes mourning as well. But he wants, follow through the, the, the verse 3, he wants to give us um, 
He wants to give us, ash, for, instead of ashes of mourning, so if you're left with the ashes of mourning, that, that speaks that all the joys of life have basically burned out and all you're left with is ash. But he wants to give us joy instead of mourning. He wants to give his people beauty, a headdress. That's what's being spoken of here. The word is the bonnets that the, the priests would have worn on their heads or a wedding bonnet. He wants to give us that instead of the ashes of mourning. He wants to give us the oil of joy. And instead of the spirit of heaviness, if you look at verse 3, he wants to give us a garment of praise. Now, what's going on here, this picture of ashes, of uh, mourning, of heaviness, it's a figure of grief and funeral garb in this ancient Near Eastern culture. But it's being paralleled or contrasted, we would say, with wedding garments. Oil, a wedding uh, uh, head garment, and garments of praise. And so there's a comparison between a funeral and a wedding. And during funerals, Jews would have put ash on their head and lamented and beat their breasts and wore sackcloth. But during a wedding, they would have, as we do today, worn their best clothes. There would have been a bridal wreath and garments of praise. Because in this ancient culture, a bit like today, lesser so, um, sometimes our manner of dress actually reflects our mood. And basically, prophetically, what Isaiah is saying is Christianity is meant to be a wedding feast, not a funeral. It's not saying we'll never get sad. We will. And we're to mourn with those who mourn, weep with those who weep. But the general tenor of Christianity and the new covenant is meant to be joy. So if you're here living a feast rather than a famine in a perpetual funeral, and I'm not minimizing people who are going through natural grief right now. You understand that, don't you? You, you need to grieve, and we need to grieve healthily. But our whole life is not meant to be awake. We are meant to be awake as Christians to the joy of the Lord. So if you find yourself with a spirit of heaviness on you, the answer for that is a garment of praise. Now we need to, first of all, define a little bit more what the spirit of heaviness is to understand how to get the answer. Okay, the NIV describes it. If you've got an NIV this morning, it will say a spirit of despair. You know what that is? The English Standard Version talks of a faint spirit. That's again alluding to the, the, the hands that hang down and the knees that are weak. Well, you feel you're just ready to faint, collapse. A spirit of weakness is Young's literal transversion, uh, translation. So you feel weak. The word is actually used in Isaiah 42 verse 3. You're familiar with this. A bruised reed he will not break. A smoking flax he will not quench. And the concept of a smoking flax is again the last dying ember within the wick of a candle. You blow it out and the smoke testifies that there's just the death of light. And that's sometimes the way we feel. Nothing left but smoke. The lamp has gone out. First Samuel 3 verse 2, it speaks of Eli's eyesight as being dimmed and dull. 
And the word is used there. Heaviness, faint. So it's as if you know, you're going from technicolor to black and white and eventually the sight and the focus is gone in your life. Leviticus 13, 39, instruction given to the priests testing a leper's spot that is healed. They're told that when it becomes faint and in pale color, that's how they know it's being healed. And that word faint, pale, is, is the same word for heaviness here. When the color's going out of your life again. Now, most people have interpreted this spirit of heaviness as uh, the attitude of the human heart, just melancholy, being down. And let me say, we must never underestimate how we can be damaged when our spirit is affected, our human spirit. Because when our spirit is damaged, it can affect the whole person. Listen to Proverbs 17, 22. A merry heart does good like a medicine, but a broken spirit dries up the bones. And that speaks to how what's going on inside can affect outside and even our physicality. Proverbs 18, verse 14. The spirit of a man will sustain him in sickness. So that's saying if your spirit's healthy, even if you're going through hardships physically, that will get you through. But who can bear a broken spirit? It's a double whammy if you're physically sick, but you're also broken inside. It's very hard to recover. And that's the reason why many people need inner healing of their spirit. If the inner part is damaged, the whole person can be struggling. But that being said, there's another understanding of the spirit of heaviness. The word for spirit in Hebrew is ruach, which is breath or wind. And it's actually used of um, spiritual beings, all spiritual life, including the life of God. And I believe there's no doubt that both our true and experienced. The spirit of heaviness could just be your human spirit that is broken or crushed or heavy. But I want to say to you that there's a spiritual dimension. There's a kingdom of darkness and demons, which we don't want to get obsessed about. But I want you to understand that if, look, if you're biting your nails and your knees are knocking, I can tell there's something wrong with you. So how do you think the demonic realm behaves when it sees that you're under pressure? Do you think it says, oh, well, we'll just leave them alone for a while? Or do you think they, they bring the heavies on? And so even if it's, it's only a human spirit of heaviness that you're experiencing, human mourning, you can be sure that the enemy will get you in his sights to visit you with extra fear. And he does that um, by, by spirits of heaviness and despair. And uh, no doubt both are true, but the enemy wants to get a foothold in your life. And so if you constantly indulge in an attitude of heaviness, okay, so if you give your thoughts over to negativity on a regular basis, you are handing the enemy on a plate, a foothold in your life. I want that to sink in. A spirit of heaviness, as in a demonic spirit of heaviness, can be over a person. But it can also be over a family. And I've seen in my own life, when I have given in to a spirit of heaviness on occasion, I've seen how it has actually started to spread over my 
household. And I've had times where after maybe a week or so, I've had to pinch myself or shake myself and say, look at what is happening. Look at what is happening. Look at the atmosphere of the home. It can be over not just a family, it can be over a town. That's a long thought that we need to have here in Craigavon, in Portadown, Lurgan, surrounding area, how a spirit of heaviness can engulf a whole community. And in fact, a spirit of heaviness can be over a nation. And some of us have had experience of actually entering in two nations worldwide and feeling a sense of a heavy spiritual atmosphere that comes upon you and almost you feel suffocated by it. So I, I want you just to think for a moment here. Could it be that my problem is the spirit of heaviness? So what is, if that is the case, the remedy for the spirit of heaviness? How do I get free? Well, the answer that we are given here in Isaiah is the garment of praise. Now, it's not the only answer, as I said earlier. But I believe it's a key that many people have missed. Now, how do you get this garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness? The good news is God gives it to you. It's a provision of God. Like everything in the Christian life, it must be taken by faith. It's given on the one hand by grace. That's his free gift. But it must be received by our hand, faith. We put on the garment of praise by faith. And if you were to go to Ephesians 6, you know where the armor of God is. You see that that's how we put the armor of God on. It's not automatic if you're a Christian. And the garment of praise is not automatic. The armor of God, we're told, put on the armor of God. Take to yourself, A, B, C, D, G. And in the same manner, it's by faith that we put this garment on. It literally means be wrapped up in praise. Now, the New Testament has a, talks a lot about putting certain things off, certain items of clothing in the spiritual sense off, and putting on new items of clothing. Let me give you a number of examples. Romans thirteen twelve: Cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Ephesians 4, 23, 24. Put on the new man who you are in Jesus. Colossians 3, 8. You have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed. You see the process? Putting off something old, something bad, unhealthy, unhelpful, and putting on something new. It's a kind of exchange. Now stay with me here. Because I am convinced and I can't prove this from the text, but only from my own experience and that of others, that the order is somewhat different when it comes to putting off the spirit of heaviness and putting on the garment of praise. It's actually first by putting on the garment of praise that affects the putting off of the spirit of heaviness. Are you with me? If you can't put heaviness off, you've got to put on the garment of praise first. You can't put off the heaviness without first putting on the garment of praise. You follow? So there's something for you to do. And can I just pause for a moment? I'm going to tell you in a moment what this will do for you, what the garment of praise will do for you. But I want you to understand Pentecostal people, charismatic people, I don't like pigeonholing people. I don't like being pigeonholed myself because we're Christians, period. But if you believe in 
the Holy Spirit's work in ministry today as in the days of the apostles. Sometimes you can fall into a trap of being passive. You understand? When you're sitting about waiting on God zapping you. Or you come to the prayer ministry, and I'm, most of my life, uh, along with preaching, is prayer ministry, so I'm not against that. But sometimes we can be passive and come up expecting God just to fix us, but we don't do anything to affect that. And there's something for you to do here. I believe God is going to touch people here today. I believe it. God is going to intervene and set people free from a spirit of heaviness. But I want you to understand there's something for you to do. You've got to put on a garment of praise. So that means you're not sitting wallowing in your despair, but you're actually getting up and choosing to wrap yourself in praise. And as you choose, and it's not about feeling, if you wait till you feel like praising, you'll never do it. If I wait till I feel like praying, I would never do it. But what happens is when I start praying or when I start praising, then I start feeling like it. But I have to prime the pump before the flow comes. And I want you, because some of you have passive wills, and that's actually your problem. You need to ask God the Father to infuse your will with his volition, his strong determination to say, this is what I'm going to do, and God is going to meet me there as I step out in faith. Faith without works is dead. You know that? Just sitting around, having faith, waiting on God to zap you, but you're not prepared to change anything, and you're not prepared to shift the mindset with the help of God, it's not going to work. the soul and calms the troubled spirit. Wow. Do you remember the story in 2 Kings chapter 3 where Elisha was angry with an idolatrous king, the king of Israel, and he called for a musician to come and to play. And we read in 2 Kings 3.15, bring me a musician, he said. Then it happened when the musician played that the hand of the Lord came upon him and he prophesied and he was calmed in his spirit. I'm telling you now, many a time, I have the headphones on, I have the praise going, I'm being ministered to in my spirit and in my soul. I'm being calmed. And sometimes that's the best thing that you can do is just start praising the Lord. I was doing it this morning. Did I feel like it? No, I didn't feel like it. But I started it. And then at the end, I was feeling like it. It also drives the devil away. Do you know that? It's not just about insight. It's external warfare. 1 Samuel 16, verse 23. Do you remember Saul? It says that an evil spirit from God was upon him. And David took a harp and played with his hand. So Saul was refreshed and was well, and the evil spirit departed from him. That's in the Bible. Satan is allergic to praise. Because God inhabits the praises of his people. And where there is jubilant praise, Satan flees. Satan is paralyzed when we praise the Lord. Praise is an antidote to the poison of satanic oppression. That's why we need to learn to praise. And we're not filling in, you know, it's not a sandwich filler to praise. 
And sometimes we're getting used to a program and, and it's just what happens, you know. But we need to enter into it knowing that we are actually doing battle. We're not just bringing glory to God, but we're sending the devil and demons to flight. So we need to put away negativity of every kind. And that includes, okay, grumbling, complaining, moaning, pessimism. We have to actually choose to put that away. First Thessalonians 5 verse 8. We, we're familiar with the armor of God in Ephesians 6. It talks about the helmet of salvation. But another word for salvation is deliverance. You know that? Freedom. And in First Thessalonians 5 8, it's called the helmet of the hope of, of salvation. So it's the helmet of the hope of deliverance. So we've actually got to put on our mind the hope that God comes through. And we need to declare that and we need to, to sing that and we need to practice this. Something for you to do. You need to appraise in order to praise. You need to appraise the greatness, the majesty, the wonder, the, 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 the awesomeness of who God is and his attributes and what he has already done in your life, kind your blessings, but also what he will do through the promises that he's given you with your yes and amen in Jesus. Now, about 13 years ago, uh, I had the beginnings of depression. And... Uh, Thankfully, I, I, didn't, I didn't need at the time to go on medication. And I was just given some time off and encouraged to eat well, exercise, spend some time with family and get some fresh air. But one of the things I did, I went little walks. And at the time I was reading a book, trying to take small bites of truth. So all I could handle. And it was a book by William MacDonald called Alone in Majesty. And it was about 31 chapters. And a day a month, I took what he'd written about, which was an attribute, another attribute of God. I would just walk and I would think about this aspect of God. And I could actually sense me being lifted, actually lifted out of the depression by focusing on God and his greatness and his wonder. We need to look upward. Stop looking at our boots. Stop looking around us. We need to actually intentionally engage in praise Good to do in the morning, because that's when the birds do it. That's a wee hint, signal, the dawn chorus. Why not join them and uh, praise the Lord with all of nature? But another good practice, because praise and thankfulness are like two sides of the one coin, is that what I would do, and I still do it from time to time, is I have a little notebook beside of my bed. And before I go to sleep at night, and this has been psychologically proven to be a success, is that I would write down three things that I'm thankful for. And I'm not necessarily engaging in prayer, but I would just write down, and it might be as benign as I had a lovely cup of coffee with a friend today or I went a walk in the sunshine or something like that, but just three things, because that is practicing thankfulness. And it shifts your psyche. Handel, who composed that great work, The Messiah, which we'll probably hear soon, Christmas time. Do you know when he wrote the Messiah, he barricaded himself into his room and he practically neither ate nor drank or slept as he wrote. Of course, the Hallelujah Chorus is the great climax of that masterpiece. And you know what Hallelujah means, don't you? Praise the Lord. And later he told a friend that that experience of locking himself away with God and praising God, he said, it seemed as if heaven came down and filled my soul. 
That's what praise does. If you're here this morning and you know that there's a spirit of heaviness on you, you need to clothe yourself with a garment of praise. Now, I'm going to prophesy this because I believe it. Some of you are going to do this now and the heaviness will lift off. I believe that. But it's not enough at times. Some of us want to think our way out of the wilderness. Do you remember Jesus was in the wilderness in Matthew chapter 4, being tempted of the devil 40 days, fasting and praying. But he didn't think his way out of the wilderness. He spoke. He declared. Now, I don't, maybe he sang, I don't know as well, but we know three times he quoted from the book of Deuteronomy what the Lord says. And we overcome the devil by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony. And some of you here this morning need to speak your way out or sing your way out.